So when you think about it, over the course of a year, you could be eating 365 chickens or maybe more than that, maybe one person. So when you think about all the space, you think about all the feed, you think about all the water, just to raise that many chickens just for one single individual. For somebody to say that going vegan doesn't make any difference in this world, it does. This is one person. Now, if you could extrapolate that to a couple million people, imagine how many lives you would save, resources and land that could be reallocated for you know growing alternative vegetable crops or something like that. I think it's like one pound of beef even requires 1,800 gallons of water compared to like 30 something gallons of water for broccoli. There could be a big shift in where we're using our resources and it makes a global impact, but people don't look at it that way. They think of, oh, this is just one piece of meat on my plate. Like what difference does that make if I eat it or not? But when you take a look at the big picture, it makes a huge difference. That's Nimai Delgado. And this is episode number 76 of the Proof Podcast. Hey friends, here we go, back together again. It's so cool to be with you again and to be able to share another conversation together. I hope you've been well. For new listeners, my name is Simon Hill, physiotherapist, currently finishing my master's in nutrition and host of this show, The Plant Proof Podcast. Each week, I get to sit down with super cool folks from all walks of lives doctors, nutritionists, athletes, people who have overcome chronic illness and so much more to have conversations that can hopefully help us become more mindful and conscious of the way that we live. So this week I have a really cool episode for you. My good friend Nimai Delgado is back on the show. You may remember him from episode three and I really can't speak highly enough about this guy. If you're not following Nimai, you can find him at Nimai underscore Delgado on Instagram. He is as genuine and down to earth as they come. Every time I go to LA, we hang out, grab something to eat or do a workout. He's really an incredible person that I have learned a lot from. In this episode, we go through the common reasons that people find it hard to adopt a plant-based or vegan diet or reasons that may deter people from even considering it in the first place. Nimai has his own podcast, Generation V, which is a great show. So this episode is going up on both of ours. Hopefully our answers and conversation shed some light on a few of the common misconceptions about a plant-based diet or a vegan lifestyle. We are both thriving on nothing but plants, have done so for years, and have been able to not just feel incredible day to day, but perform in the gym and gain muscle, strength, etc. So I'm going to leave this introduction short today as we really cover quite a bit of science within the topics that we speak about. Friends, I hope you enjoy this episode and most of all, find it useful. I'll see you on the other side. One of the best ways to track our health is to regularly get blood work done so we can take a peek under the hood and get a feel for the state of our cardiometabolic and hormonal health. You can do this with your local doctor or you can use a service like Inside Tracker. The nice thing about Inside Tracker is they make the process super convenient. You can organize their phlebotomist, a person who draws blood, to come to your house or office to do the blood draw. A few days later, your results show up in the Inside Tracker app, and they provide lifestyle recommendations based on whether a particular test is suboptimal, normal, or optimal. I've checked Inside Tracker's lifestyle recommendations, specifically the exercise and nutrition ones, and I can confidently say they are evidence-based and in line with the information shared in both my book and on this show. They even added ApoB to their ultimate plan, based on recommendation from myself and others. It's also nice to have all of your lab results readily accessible in one mobile app, making it easy to pull up past results and see trends and patterns over time. Get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. To get started, go to insidetracker.com forward slash Simon for this exclusive offer. That's insidetracker.com forward slash Simon. 
If you're a long-time listener of this show, you'll be well aware of the scientific evidence that supports a high-fiber, plant-rich diet for good long-term health. And while I certainly believe in a food-first approach, there is a role for supplements to help optimize the intake of specific nutrients and address any nutritional gaps. Enter Emil. Emil is a plant-based wellness company with a series of products to help you optimize your plant-based diet. Two of my favorite products being the Essential 8 Multivitamin and the Optimal Omega Plus. The Essential 8 contains eight key nutrients that plant-based eaters often fall short in. And the Optimal Omega Plus contains a direct source of DHA and EPA Omega-3s, same as in fish, but from algae. In fact, taking Optimal Omega Plus daily, which contains 750 milligrams of EPA and DHA, is equivalent to eating two to three pieces of fatty fish per week, in line with the nutrition recommendations globally. To get your Essential 8 and Optimal Omega Plus, head to theproof.com forward slash friends and follow the link which will get you an extra 10% off your first order. That's theproof.com forward slash friends. Nimai Delgado, welcome to the Plant Proof Podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. It's an honor to be here, man, in this lovely uh, <laughs> makeshift podcast studio. <laughs> I think we we should probably paint the picture for the listeners as to where we're actually uh, sitting. Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, me and Simon, we got a good workout in at the Mecca Gold Gym in Venice Beach. Uh, we had to make do with the time requirements because he's going to catch a flight later today. That's right. So we decided why not get a workout in and then let's record a podcast. You know, why not take advantage of the opportunity? So we are currently in my Jeep. We have the entire podcast recorder, microphones, headphones, everything set up. So it's actually not that bad. It's pretty quiet. Yeah, no, no, no. We've, I think we've made the most of the situation. We'll definitely get a photo to, to show you how we're doing this, but improvising and let's get stuck into it. So I know that our the, the Plant Proof community is going to be super interested in your story. You are an absolute inspiration. And I think a great place to start is, you know, just learning about where it all began for you and, and where, where did you grow up and, and what sort of diet did you have growing up as a child? Oh, man. So before we get into that, we even have to go further back to really, understand, go right back. Yeah, to really understand my background because whenever I explain it to people, they just kind of have this dumbfounded look because I'm such a mix of different cultures and different lifestyles all in one kind of big melting pot. But to give you a start, my, my, both of my parents are from Argentina. Uh, they were both born and raised in Buenos Aires, Argentina. So I am 100% from a heritage perspective, Argentinian. I just happen to have very light skin, blue eyes. So I was the only one in my family with blue eyes. So I always get mistaken for other races or heritages or whatever. But that's beyond the point. So my parents, they met in Argentina and they were both at different points in their life. My mom actually was vegetarian since she was 15. She was raised Catholic and ate a very traditional Argentinian diet, which is very beef-based. Argentinians are known for their steak. She grew up fairly wealthy. That's kind of the diet that she was introduced to early on. And then she had a boyfriend at the time, and he was some kind of Argentinian aristocrat, part of some, you know, some fancy society. Yeah. And uh, she, they owned a slaughterhouse. And when she was 15, she went with her boyfriend to the, the slaughterhouse, the family slaughterhouse, and she witnessed him slaughter a pig in front of her. Wow. And she said that she never forgot the sounds of the pig. They were kind of imprinted on her brain for eternity. So she could never in good conscience eat an animal knowing that it had to go through that in order to end up on her plate. So she made the decision right then at 15 years old, which is pretty, you know, it takes a lot of conviction from a 15-year-old to do that. And, and as you said, Argentina has such a strong yes. culture of eating beef and, and they're known for their steaks. Oh, yeah. And my grandpa, he was a very, uh, very strong-minded individual. And he was, you know, from the Navy. He was an airline pilot. He was very structured and set in his ways. And he fought tooth and nail against it and just didn't agree with it. He, he thought she would phase out of it and everything else. So, But she stuck to it, guys. Oh, she stuck to it. She just wouldn't eat if there was meat on her plate. She was just strictly vegetarian. And uh, somewhere in that whole kind of process, she came across Hinduism. So Hinduism was getting westernized at that time. And she had some friends that introduced her to it. And she went to the temple and she kind of learned more about the the religion and the lifestyle and kind of the 
concept or principles behind it. And they also didn't eat meat and they were also very, you know, joyous people. They had a sense of like inner light about them and just uh, very calm serenity personalities where you could tell that they were just in a good place mentally. And uh, she resonated with a lot of that. So she decided to essentially renounce all material possessions and join Hinduism. And that is kind of in the process met my dad, who was older than her, but was going through a similar life experience and was introduced so to Hinduism. they were on Hinduism. the same page. Exactly, exactly. So they fell in love, they got married, and that was their plan was to help spread this message and serve God for the rest of their life with no material possessions, just hopping from temple to temple. And um, lo and behold, they had a baby. They had my my older sister and she was born and raised in Argentina. And they had my brother in Brazil. They bounced to another temple in Brazil. And then somehow they ended up having an opportunity to come to America. My dad came first, worked as a taxi driver, got enough money just to send a one-way ticket for my mom and my two siblings to come to America. And they here they landed with $200 in their pocket and just hopes and dreams of providing a better life for their for their children. They migrated from another temple in Miami to Central Florida and then Central Florida to New Orleans and the New Orleans to Mississippi. And that's where I was born and raised, was a temple in South Mississippi, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with um, the states and kind of where they lie. No, geographically the where Mississippi falls, yeah. Yeah. So geographically, the United States has different cultural normalities too. So... In the South, they, they tend to be a little bit more closed-minded against other religion, other lifestyles, everything else. So imagine a very traditional Christian lifestyle for the South, which, you know, everybody goes to church, Baptist church, Catholic church. Uh, there's plenty of different denominations down there. And then I was raised in this kind of like a, it was like a Hindu community, like a sanctuary in the middle of the most extreme group in Mississippi. Wow. So we're kind of surrounded on all four and, corners. And you were raised in this in this sort of town for, for how many years of your life? Uh, the first six years. I didn't move out until I was about seven years old, somewhere in the middle right there. As soon as you were born, you were on the, a vegetarian diet. Yes. Same as your brother and yes. sister. Yeah, exactly. So part of the belief system of uh, Hinduism is a concept called ahimsa, which basically means you try to live a life of nonviolence. And that is relates to everything you do in life, including the food you eat and the with each action you do, it has an equal and opposite reaction in the karmic spectrum or whatever you want to call it. So they choose not to eat any animals as well and try to cause as little suffering in the world and make as little of a suffering footprint in the, and in the world around them. And these are principles as a child you were being taught straight away. Yeah. And you know, it, it's funny because as a child, those principles are very easy to understand. Children learning something. Children are very empathetic. They're very compassionate by nature. You know, if you put a baby chick in front of a baby and you put like a vegetable, an apple in front, it, it's not going to reach out for the baby chick and rip its head off and start eating it. That's not just how babies work, you know. Colorful fruit. or Yeah, it's going to go for the fruit of the vegetable and just be happy and let the chick mind its own business. It might play with it for a little bit, but that's just kind of how we're, we're wired. So it's very easy for me to understand as a kid. But once I grew older and I kind of assimilated more into the Southern culture because... It was tough. I had to, I, my parents are full-blown <laughs> hippies, I guess you could say. They didn't care about what was going on in the outside world. They just kind of threw me to the world. I mean, to, said, to all in, intents and purposes, they were ahead of the curve back then. Yes, but it took me a long time to realize that. You know, growing up, I didn't have that same concept or that same perception because I was being thrown into a world outside of this little bubble and had to assimilate into the the real world or, you know what I'm saying, outside of that world that I grew up in. And it was tough. You know, I went to, I remember going to kindergarten with the, you know, the traditional garments that we would wear in the temple and I'd have, they put like uh, a clay marking on your forehead and, you know, it has different re meanings behind it. I had necklaces, I had bracelets, you know, my sister had her nose pierced at, you know, 12 years old or younger. She was the only kid in school or maybe even younger. I think she was like 10 and she was going to school with her nose pierced and all those teachers were like, oh, it's this weird religious thing, you know? So we, and at school, was, was the entire school and, and the beliefs of all the other children and teachers the same? Or did you go to a school that was sort of outside of that community? Oh, no, I went to a fully public school. Okay. So I was completely so removed. There would have been some challenges there in terms Definitely. of belief systems and and what other children were learning as yes. what's normal to eat and, and how to look at animals and, and whatnot. I mean, in Southern culture, it's it's... It's very common to hunt and fish on the weekends, barbecue, all these things. People own cattle ranches. You know, it's not a big deal to slaughter an animal. But for me, I was just taught completely different. So to be in that, you know, educational system where kids 
everybody around me thought one way and I was the only odd one out, the weird one with the weird name and the weird clothes and the, you know, the weird lunch. It was challenging because I get criticized a lot and then I'd get kind of not attacked, but just constantly questioned and I had to defend myself and my beliefs and so much to the point where I just ended up not wanting to discuss it at all because, you know, I just wanted to fit in Mm -hmm. as a kid. And did you, did you ever go home and question you know, how you were being raised in your family's belief systems or, or was that so strong and you knew that what, how you were being brought up was, was the right way or the better way or the more harmonious way? I, I, you know, honestly, I don't know. I, I mean, I feel like it was always just who I was. So I never let it affect me too much. But, you know, that, that was, I'm just like one of three kids. Like my, I know my sister had her challenges. My brother he probably had the most challenges out of all of us. And he would, he was the middle child. He would always question, you know, why, why were we raised this way? Why did you raise us vegetarian? And, and there was some parental, I guess, conflict there between what what he was experiencing and what my parents taught him. But for me, I always just kind of just made sense. You know, I never questioned it. I never was, I was never tempted. People and kids would always like try to hand me a piece of meat and say, Hey, I'd give you $10 or I'll, I'll, you know, eat this for whatever reason. And I was just like, no, I'm good. And like, I don't want it, you know? And they're like, you're not even curious to know what it tastes like. I'm like, no, like it just doesn't, it's not appetizing to me. It doesn't look like it would be good in my body. You know, I just want to, I just want to stay away from it altogether. Like I'm cool without it, you know, but for some reason it's such an issue for other people because they want you to partake in what they're doing. And that's what makes the challenge is, you know, if we go to a dinner or barbecue or a friend's party, everybody's eating hamburgers and I'm eating like, you know, just chips and salsa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. People are like, oh, are you not hungry? And then the, you know, concerned mothers would be like, well, what can I fix you to eat? And I'm just like, no, it's okay. Like, I just, I'm cool. Just, you so know. So that's I been just, your approach, not a, a sort of no fuss approach and yeah, to 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 not sort of get annoyed by yeah. people sort of, you know, suggesting eat this, eat that. Have you, I mean, you're a big guy now and I'm sure that sort of changes these types of conversations. But back then growing up, are we talking when you're still in Mississippi and you're sort of around that six years of age? Um, were you a big kid? Oh, no, not at all. I was always the smallest kid, actually. Okay. I was the smallest kid in my grade all the way up until maybe like graduation. Like, yeah, well. It's like until grade 12. <laughs> and uh, I just started to grow like right around grade 12, you know, just kind of be average height, just like not sh- yeah, yeah, so yeah. short. But it was just like, I was always easygoing. I always understood that people had a different belief system and it's not my right to judge them and they just as well as they shouldn't judge me. I was just kind of accepting of everybody and just like, oh, okay, you eat me, cool. Like, I'm not going to push my beliefs on you and just don't push them on me. That wasn't always the case. You know, people like to prove that they're right or they, they're better in some way. And I just got so good at deflecting it that I just kind of suppressed who I was and my whole belief system so much that I kind of disassociated myself from the way I was raised. Because it's hard, you know, I, I grew up from an Argentinian family in a Hindu culture that was in the middle of South Mississippi. So I didn't really identify with anything. You know, I wasn't fully Argentinian. I'd never been there. Yeah. I wasn't fully Hindu because I was kind of brought up in this religion that, you know, I didn't necessarily understand so much at a young age. And then I was raised in the South. So it's like, I don't consider myself Southern, even though I was raised. So you weren't there. quite sure where you fit in. Exactly. Exactly. So you suppressed your sort of belief system mm-hmm. and we'll move into a little bit later sort of where you're at now and you're obviously no longer suppressing it and you're yeah. really owning it on a on a global stage and and that's absolutely amazing so I want to dig super deep into that but you you were in Mississippi until you were about six no I was in Mississippi until 18 oh 18 19. okay so 19, you stayed in yeah. Mississippi until you'd finished high school yeah and then then I graduated and went to college in Louisiana which is the neighboring state just an hour away and, what, and what did you study there uh, mechanical engineering. So I went to school for five years in university to get my mechanical engineering degree. Ran across similar issues, you know, but in college, people were a little bit more open-minded. There was a little bit more vegetarians and I kind of made friends with some of them, but still very much never talked about it. People just knew I was vegetarian that knew me. They never really, they got over it really quick, you know. While you're at college, I mean, what year did you sort of start training and, and taking your physical condition quite seriously? So probably my second year of college. So that would be 2009, maybe somewhere around there. And at that, at that stage, did you have the sort of foresight to think, okay, I, I can really take this to the next level in terms of my training. I've got a bit of a secret weapon in my, my nutrition here. Um, <laughs> no, or not at all. Fun? Not at all. It, I was strictly a recreational lifter. Like my idea of bulking was going to Taco Bell 
and getting five bean burritos yeah, yeah. and just <laughs> destroying them at 10 o'clock at night before I went to bed. Like that was my diet my freshman year because we had this like point system where you could use points at certain restaurants yeah, okay. on campus. And uh, I had no idea about nutrition. I knew that you had to get protein and you had to eat more to get bigger. I was just doing it the complete wrong way. I was just eating whatever I could get my hands on. It didn't matter if it was nutritionally dense or not. It was just calorically dense. So I was going to eat it. But still, I would consider myself a very recreational lifter. I would go to the gym with no set program. Mm-hmm. I would not follow any particular diet. I would just kind of go every day, just spin my wheels, do a couple curls, do a couple bench presses, that and and you stayed in shape and you were seeing Yeah, relatively. Progress. Relatively, yeah. I mean, you you make those newbie gains, right? Yeah. Those newbie gains are like, that's like the honeymoon period when you work yeah. out. Oh, you're coming from nothing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that that happened, that, that went on for a couple of years. And then my final year of college, I ended up making some friends with some personal trainers. And I learned a lot more about training, but still very naive when it came to nutrition. And it wasn't until I moved to California, I graduated, accepted a job in California. There wasn't much to do in the town where I moved to. And uh, it's funny, I had all these big hopes and dreams of moving to California and, you know, palm trees and white sandy beaches. Yeah. And I ended up going to Bakersfield, California, which is like the most Southern-like city in California. You know, it's nothing but farms, you know, agricultural farming. And you felt like you're back in the South, cowboys and and horses. Yeah. So quickly, I realized that it wasn't the California I I thought I was going to. I just ended up going to work, coming back, not knowing anybody. And I was like, well, I, like, I'll just go to the gym. Like, that's kind of where I spend a lot of my time and make friends. So I'll just go make some friends in the gym. And uh, did that for maybe six months or so. Somewhere in between there, I kind of started looking more into nutrition. And that's when I really came across how valuable nutrition it is for achieving your fitness goals. And, and how old were you at that stage? 24, 25. So 24, 25. And you're yeah. 28. 28 now. now. Yeah. So, from that stage of sort of looking into nu- nutrition, you've had a, a fairly rapid amount of progress mm-hmm. to where you are now. Yes. At what stage sort of you started looking into nutrition? When did you think I can I can actually be a pro vegan bodybuilder? Never. Never. <laughs> so it's just it's just <laughs> really cr- so when you look back on it, you're like, yeah, how? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it it's such a crazy series of events that happened. Uh, I can pinpoint it back to the day. So one day I was in the gym and I was walking in, and there was a friend of mine who was working at a he worked for a supplement company in Bakersfield, and they were doing a kind of like a booth in the front of the gym, and he was like sampling out supplements, and we talked for a little bit, and he was like, I hadn't seen him in a while. I was like, man, you're looking good. He's like, you you should compete, and I was like, yeah, right. I'm not gonna get on stage and half naked and flex like an idiot. <laughs> he was like, he's like, no, you, should, you really should. I think you do well. And he was like, there's a show coming up in like eight or nine weeks and you, you could totally do it. It's in Bakersfield. You don't even have to travel. Like you just do it here. I was like, you know what? Like, that sounds like a cool idea. Like I'm competitive by, by nature. It'll give me something to work towards. I haven't worked towards anything really after college. And I'm just used to putting my hands to work on something. Uh, very like ambitious when it comes to projects and everything. So what better project to work on than yourself, you know, and trying to build myself up to be bigger, healthier, stronger. It was just an exciting idea for me. So never once it crossed my mind saying, hey, I'm going to turn this into a career or become some kind of advocate for veganism. Like I was vegetarian at that time. Okay. And then uh, when I decided to do the show, that's pretty much the same decision I made to go vegan. And what what was the inspiration behind that? Was that further research on the nutrition and you thought you could get better results or was it more just understanding what, you know, some of the vegetarian style foods and what the industry, you know, what was involved in bringing those to your plate? It was the the latter. Okay. So I had no idea of the benefits of a vegan diet when I first started. I knew that being vegetarian was healthy and I knew I was healthier than the majority of the population because I wasn't consuming all these, you know, heavily processed foods and animals, there are dead animals that have been processed through these facilities and hormones, everything that goes into that. So I knew I was on the right path, but it wasn't until I I came across a video that kind of went into more detail about what goes on behind a dairy, uh, the dairy industry. And I kind of got a firsthand look at, you know, how these cows were treated and how they were kind of just locked in a cage from very early on. And they were forcefully impregnated to produce milk they were given different supplements or hormones to produce even more milk and just squeeze all the juices out of them. And then the babies they would have would get taken away and and sent for different industries. So the thought of me 
buying or like paying a company to do that because essentially we all have a vote with our dollar, right? So by me voting for this company, I'm voting for it to stay alive with my dollar. So I was like, you know what? I'm just not, I'm not going to support this anymore. Like I can't in good conscious support an industry that's exploiting animals this way. And I don't feel like I need it. You know, I don't need cheese, even though I love cheese at the time. I didn't need it. So I was like, did you, did you eat eggs? Uh, no, no eggs. No. So the only animal product that you had was dairy. Dairy. Okay. And did you... Eggs in the sense of, I wouldn't eat eggs, like scrambled eggs, but there's so much eggs that are baked into things and egg whites just kind of thrown into an ingredient list that I wouldn't check. I knew it was vegetarian. I was like, ah, oh, whatever. So some of that would slip in, but... Yeah. If you've tuned in to the many episodes I've done focusing on cardiovascular disease, the leading cause of death globally you'll be well aware that ApoB is a better biomarker for measuring our risk of having a heart attack or stroke than LDL cholesterol. The only problem is that not every pathology lab is set up to test ApoB levels. Fortunately, this has now been made easier by Inside Tracker, a leading health and wellness company founded in 2009 by experts in aging, genetics, and biometric data from Harvard, MIT, and Tufts that provides lifestyle advice based on your blood test results. With the new edition of ApoB, InsideTracker's ultimate plan now analyzes 44 biomarkers, including metabolic health markers like HbA1c, triglycerides, and blood glucose, important nutrients like vitamin D and iron, as well as hormones like cortisol, sex hormone binding globulin, free testosterone, and total testosterone, before giving you science-backed lifestyle advice to optimize your health and longevity. Your data tells the story of your health. With Inside Tracker, get to know your story and create a lifestyle that delivers better health for longer. Get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. To get started and redeem this offer, go to insidetracker.com forward slash Simon. That's insidetracker.com forward slash Simon. Hey friends, the scientific evidence on lifestyle habits that lead to longevity is clear. Now it's time to put this knowledge into action. I'm excited to announce the Living Proof Longevity Challenge, a 12-week program to build evidence-based lifestyle habits to optimize longevity. My team and I have transformed over hundreds of hours of conversations with experts on aging, nutrition, and exercise into a life-changing 12-week program that will challenge you to develop habits that lead to a longer, better life. This is a unique opportunity to gather health data about yourself that has the potential to change your life for the better. You'll start by testing 10 longevity biomarkers that tell the truth about where your longevity stands right now, today. Following that, you'll get a personalized longevity score to guide your 12 weeks of habit building that will boost your score and improve your biomarkers for the better. After the challenge, you'll retest your 10 biomarkers and see the proof of how powerful these science-backed habits really are. Head over to theproof.com forward slash livingproof to download your zero-cost copy of the Living Proof Longevity Challenge today. That's theproof.com forward slash livingproof. Look forward to joining you on this journey. And at that stage, you're, you're preparing for your first competition and I know a lot of listeners will probably probably be thinking, did you start to question where am I going to get my protein from? Tell us about that and looking into that question and, and where you're at now in terms of that. Yeah, so so I, I decided to get a coach, first of all, because I was like, I had no idea what I was doing or how to lean out for a show. And I found a guy that didn't know anything about vegans or vegetarians, but he had helped other people in the past. And he was kind of like known in the town to be like a good coach. So I was like, okay, I'll hit him up. And he was honest with me. He's like, look, I don't know what you could eat, but maybe you tell me what you can eat and we'll see if we can make it work. Or at least I'll give you like some macronutrient targets you can shoot for. So we did that and it worked. So he, he sent me some macro targets and I thought, you know, some of them were a little bit much because I was getting, I was still at that time, I was getting way too much protein looking back for how much I weighed and, you know, everything I was doing, I was getting way too much. But this personal trainer was coming from sort of a traditional diet. Definitely. Background. Definitely. So he approached it like, I'm going to give this vegan a traditional animal-based diet, mm -hmm. you know, macro-wise. And it worked. 
Like it, it definitely worked because I leaned out. I got really, really lean. I, I stepped on stage nine weeks later at 150 pounds. Just to give you a reference, I'm five foot nine, but I looked really thin compared to if you look at progress photos yeah, now, yeah, yeah. You know, a couple of years ago, but uh, I ended up winning the whole thing. So the entire show. Wow. Yeah. And were people surprised that you were you you were vegan? You were vegetarian and then you turned vegan into the competition. Yeah, I didn't tell anybody. <laughs> like I would you gotta remember, like I was at this point in my life still where I didn't want to talk about my diet. I didn't want to have people question me, what am I eating? You know? Like to me, that was a, the question I avoided so long growing up was like, what do you eat? Because I just didn't want to get into it. You know, it was such a hot topic at like birthday parties and mm. dinners and all this stuff. Like the moment I would like a waiter would come to me and be like, and what do you have, sir? And I'll be like, well, I have the, the vegetarian dish. Can you make sure there's no meat in it? Or does the sauce come with meat? And it was just like, everybody would listen and they'd be like, wait, why, do, why don't you want meat? You know, and it would just open up this whole door. I just didn't want to get into it. So I'd always avoid it. <laughs> of course, as soon as you win a bodybuilding show, everybody's like, what did you eat? How did you train? And I was kind of forced to be like, well, you know, I did it actually fully vegan, fully plant-based. So and, there was no... Were people shocked? I mean... Yeah. Yeah. People, were they reacted two ways. Either they're shocked or they're like, yeah, bullshit. Like, you're lying to me or you're taking a bunch of drugs. That's just the reaction people get. I mean, to this day, I still get the exact same reaction. I mean, particularly back then, you know, that's three years ago. But there's been a mm -hmm. lot of education since then and a lot of mm -hmm. documentaries and... And so at that stage, is that when you realized I probably need to stop suppressing it so much and start to own it so mm -hmm. that people can become more educated and don't just throw out lines like, oh, you're taking steroids mm -hmm. or um, no, that can't be true. You were eating meat. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what happened. So I, I kind of realized that at the same time, I was just getting into social media. So like if you go back to like my very first post ever, it was like me in the gym and I had a vegan shirt on and like... I was like, you know what? Maybe there's other people out there that are like vegans or vegetarians that just don't even know you can build muscle because like, it's something I knew my whole life. I was like, I never had a problem with it, but maybe other people were just unaware. So after I won, I saw it like physically how many people were just completely dumbfounded or just had no idea that you could do this. So I was like, maybe I'll share it online. And I got a ton of positive responses from people. Mainly vegans? or vegans. Yeah, mainly vegans. So these are people sitting, they have the secret weapon, but they just haven't unlocked yeah, it. Yeah, or they, or they don't even know they have the secret weapon. Yeah, yeah, they were already yeah. vegan, but they just like didn't think they could get big or they didn't know how to do it. So I started sharing more and more. And, you know, a couple of weeks later, I did another show and I won the, the whole thing again. So it just gave me that validation. I was like, man, maybe because I went from, I went from a, a much smaller federation, smaller, I wouldn't say smaller, but just less exposed. What, what was the first federation? The first one was INBA. So it was the yeah. International Natural Bodybuilding Association. And it was a local show. So there wasn't many people there. And I, you know, I quickly realized that there was little exposure in that league. And I thought to myself, I was like, I feel like I can compete like with, with anybody. You know, I believe in myself and I believe in my work ethic hard enough that if I worked hard enough and really stuck to this, I could be And you almost just into that first one, so to speak. So you haven't yeah. done a full prep. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So after the, that one, there was like maybe six weeks later or something like that. I did another one, which was the NPC, which is a different organization, not tested. But I, I still was like, I don't care if guys are running whatever they want to run or taking whatever supplements. Like, I still feel like I could compete with them. So I did that one and ended up winning again. And that was like the tipping point for me. I was like, you know what? I can take this somewhere. So that's when the first thought I had, I was like, maybe I can become a pro. Like if I can win an overall at like a big show, then maybe I have the chance of becoming a professional at this. So was that second competition in the same same federation or separate to separate. where you then got your pro card? Uh, same federation as to where I got my pro card. So the NPC, National Physique Committee, is the amateur league that feeds into the professional okay. league. So you have to compete a couple of times in the NPC okay. to be able to get your pro qualification. Okay, so you, you won that second competition mm -hmm. and you know you started to think okay I might take this a little more seriously I can I can go a fair way here yeah and did you then start really diving deep into your nutrition and and trying to trying to get those macros fine-tuned yeah because what happened was I was still using a coach for the first two and I kind of quickly realized that like through my own research and my own trials and you know personal anecdotes that it was I could get results doing different things than what he was recommending. And I finally decided that, you know, maybe I can just take it on myself. Like, I don't think it's that difficult to understand. It's just knowing about the quality of food you're getting and the quantity of food you're getting. And really, that's that's what it takes to 
gain weight or lose weight is finding how much calories you need or how much you don't need and just kind of working around that number and just tracking your progress. So I approached it from a very analytical perspective, just how I do everything. You know, I just kind of, I take my data, I look at my approach, I take my data, I apply it and then I analyze it and then refine it. You know, it's kind of like the basic scientific principle of like engineers and how to optimize processes, right? So I, there's, nutrition was no different. And that's when I really got a fine understanding of what worked for me. And what I realized was that I didn't need as much protein as what people were recommending, what I saw in bodybuilding.com. But when I looked further into the clinical studies and the research, it showed that I needed far less. So I was like, maybe I can shift around some of those calories that I was over-consuming on protein and shift them more towards carbohydrates and fat. Yeah, exactly. So we'll dive into a little bit later on into your new program and, and the direction you're going with that and and learn a little bit more about what's involved there in terms of training and nutrition. Mm-hmm. But just as a high level, going into that competition that you won your pro card on, what were your macros like and what were your sort of go-to staple foods that you were really concentrating on? So I get asked macro questions all the time. And what happens is like, there's no set solution that fits everybody as far as macronutrient ratios. I change mine constantly, especially depending on how quickly I'm progressing or how quickly I'm not progressing. I know that some change needs to be done. So I'm constantly kind of monitoring how much I'm eating and how quickly I'm progressing. And there's a few like staples that I go by. Normally I go like the 150 gram protein mark for me is like kind of like my limit. Yeah. My cap. I don't, I've found out a lot of people would look at you and assume that you're having a lot more than that. Yeah. Almost double that. Yeah. You know, I know guys that are half my size and eat double that. So for me to only have about 150 to maybe 170, 180, like on the very high end, that's kind of where I like to stay. And what what are your go-to sources for that protein? Oh, um, lentils, beans, rice, protein shakes. I do, you know, one or one or two protein shakes, and not necessarily because I need the extra protein, but because it's convenient. You know, I love smoothies. So for me to wake up and quickly make a smoothie on the go is like one of the easiest things for me because it worked into my schedule. Uh, But now I've just grown to love them. So I always incorporate protein shakes in there. But tofu tempeh, seitan I do occasionally, but not, not so much. And then I'll do some alternative meats, you know, every now and then. Initially, I relied heavily on them, but now I've reverted to a much more whole food plant-based diet. Okay, so you've won, you won your pro card and you've had a couple of competitions in the last month or so. Yeah. So what's, what's next for you in terms of bodybuilding and where you want to take things? Oh, man. When I initially started bodybuilding, it was strictly for a personal challenge. And then what I realized after my first or second show that I won and I saw how much interest there was and how much of a gap there was in the knowledge behind a vegan lifestyle, and as far as athleticism goes and bodybuilding and fitness goes, I was like, man, I could really help people. And it kind of became my passion of like helping people become more aware of this alternative approach to bodybuilding. Because when you look at it from a grand scheme of things, the fitness industry especially is the biggest over-consumer of animal proteins. You know, look at any bodybuilding diet. It's got chicken, beef, egg whites, whey protein. I mean, you name it, fish bison, beef. I mean, all of these things, turkey. Yeah. All of these things that are considered like health foods from like a fitness point of view. It's like you just rely on these things. Like you have to get a piece of meat every single meal. You have to wash it down with a protein shake. You have to, you know, have your egg whites, your liquid egg whites and all this stuff. And I'm, I'm over here not eating any of those things. So like these people are not only over consuming on animal products, but they're over consuming on protein too. So if you remove that from the equation, just helping one person transition to a vegan lifestyle, it makes a big difference. Because if you look at it from like an analytical point of view, one bodybuilder, say me, I weigh 180 pounds, somewhere around there. If we just go by the simple one gram of protein per pound of body weight, I would require 180 grams of protein, right? So I did the math one day and let's say a guy who is my weight requires 180 grams. He, He eats a little bit of vegetables. So let's say he takes 40 grams of protein from his vegetable sources that he eats. The rest comes strictly from animal-based proteins. To simplify things even more, let's say he only eats chicken. So he needs 140 grams of protein coming from chicken. 
I did the math a long time ago, but basically it equated to one chicken, like one full chicken. It's like 1.4 pounds or I don't know how many ounces that was, but... Um, that's per day. Per day. So that's just one person. One person, if he ate the low end of the spectrum, that's one gram. Many times you'll hear 1.5 to 2 grams of protein per pound of body weight. So it could be two that's chickens. That's if he's getting 40 grams of protein out of Yeah, so it could, be, it could be much more than that. So when you think about it, over the course of a year, you could be eating 365 chickens or maybe more than that, maybe 700 to 1,000 chickens, just one person. So then you think about all the space, you think about all the feed, you think about all the water, you think about all the waste. Multiplies out. Just to raise that many chickens just for one single individual. You know what I mean? So to for somebody to say that just by going vegan doesn't make any difference in this world, it does. This is one person. Now, if you could extrapolate that to a couple million people, imagine how many resources, land, lives you would save that could be, you know, reallocated for feeding, you know, starving children or or whatever it may be, you know, growing alternative vegetable crops or or something like that. So I think it's like one pound of beef even requires 1800 gallons of water compared to like 30 something gallons of water for broccoli. So it's like, there could be a big shift in where we're using our resources and it makes a global impact, but people don't look at it that way. They think of, oh, this is just one piece of meat on my plate. Like what difference does that make if I eat it or not? But when you take a look at the big picture, it makes a huge difference. So, And I'm, sh- I'm sure you're regularly asked about the cost of eating a plant-based diet. And a lot of people assume that it's more expensive. A lot mm-hmm. of these products in the, in the trendy Whole Foods or Air One can be expensive. What's your response to that for someone who eats a, an animal-based diet? They're having their chicken, their fish with sweet potato, broccoli, or their steak. They work out at the gym. They're interested in transitioning, but mm-hmm. they don't have you know, a huge disposable income and are worried about the cost. I'll put it this way. First of all, being vegan is not expensive. If you want to eat out at fancy restaurants, it's just like anything else. There's fancy vegan restaurants. There's fancy non-vegan restaurants. You can spend a lot of money per week on eating out. As far as prepping your meals go from a grocery store and cooking at home, it's very cost effective. I mean, you can, you, I mean, how expensive is a big bag of rice and beans, you know, and you add some tofu in there, it might be two to $3 for four servings of tofu. You know, it's, it's not expensive. But regardless, that aside, uh, I'll ask another question when I when people ask me this to say, well, how how important is your health? You know, health health should be an investment, not an expense. So, no matter what, buying groceries, even though it might be marginally more expensive, is still going to be cheaper than a hospital bill, or cheaper than the time spent in a hospital, or dealing with some kind of irreversible disease that you you somehow get from eating from poor Which poor is lifestyle what the choices. Science is showing, yeah. And if you eat what people are eating that end up in hospital, you're likely to get the same sort of chronic disease. Exactly. Exactly. So people blame, you know, diabetes and all these other things on genetics and you might be more genetically predisposed to those types of disorders or diseases. But, you know, the science shows that a whole food plant-based diet can greatly reduce your risk or even reverse some of those. So for me, health is more about than what you look like on the outside. It starts from the inside and then comes out, right? Because you can look great on the outside, but if you're dying internally, then you feel like crap, you're gonna, it's gonna show, you're eventually gonna age, you're gonna wither away. And that's not what life is about. Life is about feeling alive and feeling healthy, feeling confident, spending, you know, your time with healthy relationships with people and, you know, your family. So, you know, if somebody you know that's in a hospital or somebody you love is in a hospital and they've been put in the hospital because of some kind of poor lifestyle choices related to eating habits, and you approach them and you would want the best for them. You would obviously say, hey, if I had a time machine right now and you know, the science shows that if you go back in time and you just you know, cut this out of your diet, cut this out of your diet, replace it with this, you won't be in this hospital bed and you'll be able to spend 10 more years of life with me and your kids and your family. You know, nine times out of 10, people would be like, yeah, I'll do it. You know, but it, it, people tend to think of themselves as indestructible. They don't look at the, our daily habits that make up you know, long long-term, you know, have long-term retributions for them. I mean, the doctors, oh, the science and the doctors is showing that the chronic diseases can start from as early as 10 years old. Mm-hmm. So these lifestyle changes, it's not just affecting you when you're in your 40s, 50s, 60s. And, you know, I know personally myself, I'm, I'm 31. Mm-hmm. And there's times where you just think that you're invincible. Yeah. But the lifestyle choices that you make, and it's an important thing to think about in your teenage, in your 20s and 30s, yes. has a significant impact 
on your later years in life, which if you make the right decisions, you know, otherwise you can have a lot more years to enjoy with your friends and family. Yeah. And healthy years too. You don't want to be walking around with, you know, a walker or a wheelchair because you can't, you just like your hips, you're just deteriorating everything. You know, it's like you have to make those decisions and that lifestyle change early on. And that's why it's so important for, for me, especially to try to reach that demographic of this younger generation and help show them what you can accomplish on a vegan diet from a young age, instead of growing up thinking that it's impossible or it's, it's, it's not cool or it's sissy to be a vegan and care about things other than yourself. You know what I mean? It'd just be this macho man that mm. is all about eating beef and, and bacon all the time. You know what I mean? Because that's what kind of how we're, you know, geared to, to think. You know, with all these marketing campaigns they have nowadays, you don't see people promoting vegans as being strong. You know, it's always like, oh, the sissy eating vegetables, you know, as opposed to the man that's eating raw bacon. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's which, like we which, have I mean, to create this. Which really plays on the mind of children and oh, kids. especially. Very impressionable. Yeah. It, it's reinforced everywhere you look. I mean, every time you turn on the TV, it's talking about more meat, more protein. But that's why people think they're so obsessed with protein or protein obsessed, you know? So to get people to kind of unlearn that and see examples of people that are living healthily without, you know, eating meat or over consuming on protein, still being very, you know, high level elite athletes, professional athletes, then maybe it'll change the minds and it'll have that domino effect where people will be a little bit more open-minded to it or even reduce the amount of meat they're consuming. You know, I'm a realist. I don't expect everybody to just to go vegan. Exactly right. You know, it would be great. And I think that the world is shifting that way and becoming more health conscious, but I don't expect it to happen overnight. And you, I mean, your message is obviously up against the, the big industries, the big pharma companies. How have you seen, I guess, the, the vegan movement over the last two or three years change and gain momentum? And, and what are you seeing and what do you see in the next sort of five years? How can you see it unfolding? If you want any kind of change to happen, you have to look at where money flows, right? That's what that's how these businesses and how the country operates is is following the path of money. So once you have the money involved, then changes are going to start happening. You know, then you can afford lobbyists promoting or like, you know, like trying to get your bill passed. You know, and it, that's where the change really needs to happen. You know, but it it starts at the ground level with the troops. You know, it starts with everybody kind of creating a need for that because once enough people get on board with this idea then the companies will see the demand for it and they'll start releasing their alternative products and they'll start shifting their own business models to be more plant-based. And then even the government will get on board and make it more tax-friendly and make and promote those companies. And that's the kind of direction we have to have to shoot for. We can't just say, you know, be out here with our pickets and say, go vegan, go vegan, meat is murder. We have to like take some kind of action there. But now nowadays you see it happening more and more. Uh, you see people who are very affluent and have a lot of influence joining the vegan movement. I mean, like James Cameron has brought out that new documentary. There's the new documentary you're in. Yeah. Um, Game yeah. Changes. Yeah. The other one, Eating You Alive. Yes. And the more and more of these types of documentaries and clinical studies, it makes it much harder for government and certain associations to sweep things under the carpet. Yeah. Or just ignore it. Yeah, exactly right. You know, ignore the whole fact that there's this huge growing movement that eventually you're going to either have to join forces with or just try to fight it as best you can. But I think the world is is desperate for some kind of change to happen because if you look at it from a, you know, an environmental perspective, we're just not, it's not sustainable for us, the amount of population that we're growing year by year and the amount of space that we have, and the amount of space it takes to for, for big farms and agriculture to feed these cattle and the, these animal farms that we're running out of space, you know, so something has to be done. Something needs to give. Yeah. So there has to be policies put in place that help reduce that. So I think that's, that's where we're going, but th those type of changes always take time. But as long as we can get the people on board, that's, that's the biggest thing. And it might be hard. Honestly, it might be hard to convince somebody from an ethical perspective to stop eating meat, but what I found to be very effective is kind of this more passive approach of activism where you lead by example. You say, hey, I'm feeling great. I'm performing great. This is what helped me. You know, if you try this, you can look better. You can feel better. You can reduce, you know, your recovery time. You can increase your training frequency. You can make gains. You can lose fat. Feel less bloated. Yeah, you'd be more confident. You know, your skin will clear up. All of these like beneficial factors that veganism 
office. Helps enhance, yeah. It's very attractive and it's something new. So people are more open-minded to trying this new, it's not new, but it's new to them. So they're a lot more open to, to trying it as opposed to me approaching somebody and being like, hey, you know, you shouldn't eat meat because you, first of all, an animal has to die. There's death on your plate. You're consuming death. It costs all this resources. It's very confrontational. It's very confront. Yeah, people are always going to get defensive when it comes to that. So it's like, look at how this can help you. Don't look at what you're giving up. Look how much you can gain. I think that's a great message. Yeah. So if someone is listening and they're having a little bit of trouble, perhaps even just explaining it to their parents. So they've, you know, they may be late teenage, or they might even be in their 20s and perhaps their family has a a certain culture which cooks a lot with animal products. What's your advice to them in terms of just helping their parents understand and, and, you know, just accept their decision that they've made? Uh, It's tough because I've grown up in such an understanding environment with my parents. I didn't have to tell my parents I went vegan or even explain myself whenever I went vegan because they just understood. They're like, yeah, that's next logical step, you know, that's good, good for you. But I understand that the people are raised differently and it might be very challenging to have, you know, the people that are closest to you tell you that what you're doing is stupid or they don't want you to do it or you're going to lose family traditions and all this stuff. I would just say, understand that people have different viewpoints and, you know, hardly anybody agrees hundred percent with their parents or aligns themselves with all of what their parents tell them to do. But just understand why you're doing it and have that personal reason as to why you stick to to this diet or why you just decided to to live this way. Your own belief system. Yeah. You have to be strong in that because you're gonna get tested, you know, the weak won't survive, you know, if you if you cave under social peer pressure. Yeah. It's very easy to be like, you know what, I don't want to stand out. I'm just gonna get a hamburger even though I don't really want to, or I'm just gonna eat this this dish that has cheese in it and just to not fuss and not make a big deal. It's like you have to know where you stand on things. And then the the more you are secure with that choice, then the quicker you find out who you are because you're going to be thrown challenges and you you become more accepting of who you are. And that was something that I struggled with for so long was because I didn't want people to know who I was. Your, your true identity. Yeah. But since I have, I did decide to just own up and really embrace who I was and what I believed in. I mean, my life has just been enhanced in so many different ways. You know, it took a totally, a total pivot like a left turn 180 where I thought my life was going. And now I no longer work as an engineer. You know, I'm helping people by inspiring them and and coaching them with, you know, vegan diets and how to become healthier, fitter versions of themselves. And I mean, it's just, it's so fulfilling for me. And I would have never found that if I didn't just embrace who I was, you know. So you've just touched on the the fact that you've you've left your full-time job, Mm -hmm. corporate job as a, as an engineer. Must have been pretty scary saying, thinking, uh, I'm going to leave that behind and, and start something new. Tell us about that process and when you decided, okay, I've got to step away from that and focus on fitness. Yeah, I, I think this is a question that everybody should ask themselves at one point. You know, sometimes we've, we follow this path that we thought was laid out for us and what we're supposed to be doing. And we have this idea of what we're supposed to live a certain life. For me, that was like finding a very high paying, stable job, uh, regardless of whether or not it made me happy or whether or not I liked it. And what I quickly found out after I secured that job was that I didn't like what I was doing. didn't make me happy. Yeah. I had a a big paycheck, but you know, I was, I was like doing something I didn't want to do for 80 to 90% of my time just so I could do something I wanted to do for like 10 to 20% of my time when it should be the other way around. You know what I mean? I asked myself this question one day. I was like, do I want my boss's job? I was like, if I don't, then what am I striving for? Am I striving to become my boss or my boss's boss? And if you say no to both of those things, then what are you really striving for? You know, like you're, you're only going to go up if you're a hard worker, you know, and it just didn't make sense. I was like, I'm wasting my time doing something that I don't want to do. And I feel like I'm capable enough to do, to live a life where I love waking up in the morning and doing something I'm passionate about and somehow making that a lifestyle as opposed to waking up and making this corporation a lot of money, you know? And that decision came one morning after I, I actually attended a veg fest in London and I, I gave a speech in front of a couple hundred people and got to see the difference I was making. The and impact. Have, the impact of people coming up to me and telling me how I helped change their life in some way, one, or, one way or another. I realized I was doing a disservice to many more people by kind of spending all my time being an engineer. Not following your Yeah, not following purpose. my purpose, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So once I decided that, I was like, man, I, 
I can't do it anymore. Like, what am I doing here? I had this like panic attack and just walked straight to my boss's office and like kind of just like spontaneously quit. I was like, I'm done. Like, I just need to put in my two weeks. And like, after the words came out of my mouth, I started to have like hyperventilate a little bit. I was like, man, what did I just Second do? Second questioning. Yeah. So that was a bit of a, an epiphany, I guess, when you spoke at the VegFest. Yeah. And you felt the impact that you were having. Yeah. And now, you know, since then you've moved on to some amazing things and, you know, obviously having a real effect on a global scale. Mm-hmm. Tell us about the, the new program that you are offering, how that can help people. And then let's dive into understanding a little bit more about your sort of top tips from a, a gym workout perspective and a nutrition perspective because I know there'll be a lot of guys and also girls because your program does tailors for, for women as well. Yes, definitely. Um, so we'll dive into that. So let's just start off with an overview of the new program. Yeah, so me and a partner, we launched a website called veganfitness.com. It had been something we had been talking about for a long time is like, how can we create something that would not only help like a handful of people, but help a massive amount, like a much larger audience. And we thought about it and we decided that it had to be some kind of centralized resource for people to come to, to learn where the facts are, not where all this misinformation is or where there's conflicting data. Because even if you go to bodybuilding.com, you can read articles about how much protein you need. And the next article tells you something totally different. So at least somebody can like, who's interested in veganism can come to this website and say, Hey, okay, this is exactly what I need. This is what I need to do. This is how I need to apply it. And this is information coming from the leading experts in the field, doctors, dietitians, nutritionists, athletes. So So it's a trusted source. Yes, exactly. We wanted to be very trusted and kind of become a leading force for information sharing. And that was the whole idea behind the website. But that portion of the website hasn't launched yet. This is a different phase. So we wanted to launch the other portion of just helping people initially. So that was when we decided to come up with a program to help show people how easy it is to transition into a vegan lifestyle and how easy it is to change your body composition over just eight weeks. And we decided to call it uh, True Strength. Because true strength is, it's not about how strong you are, it's how you use your strength. And it takes true strength from true inner strength to really stand up for what you believe in and become an advocate for something you believe in and and become a beacon of light for what message you're trying to share. So essentially that's what this program is. It tailors somebody how to get, you know, leaner over the course of eight weeks and we guide them through nutritionally, motivationally. And what supplements we recommend or how much we recommend, what you need, what you don't need. There's all kind of really good information in this program. So it's coming from my personal experience, my expertise, my girlfriend's personal experience and her expertise. She's certified. It's tailored for men and women. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the concepts are applicable to both men and women, but men and women have different goals whenever they're trying to shred down. You know, guys want a six pack. You know, they want big shoulders, big chest. Girls would rather have big legs. And the booty. Yeah, and the booty, right? So luckily my girlfriend is like the booty queen (laughs) expert. She's like notorious for, you know, knowing how to grow a big booty, you know? So me, on the other hand, I'm not known for abs. Yeah, (laughs) I've got the other stuff, you know? So we worked together and designed kind of a workout program that tailored more to that. Okay, so if anyone is interested in that, I'll have the link below on on this um, podcast, so, but it's veganfitness.com. Mm-hmm. Now, let's just have a, a little dive into some of your top tips from just a high level tips for anyone new who wants to move over to a plant-based diet and to fuel themselves for a gym. What would, you, what would, would your top five tips be? Number one, know what your goal is or know what your intention is when you walk into the gym. Most people go to the gym just to go to the gym. They don't really work. They don't go in there with a set plan. They kind of go in there and spin their wheels year after year, day after day. And they wonder why they don't see the results. You know, they say, I go to the gym. And then you take a deeper look into what they do while they're in the gym. You know, 50% of the time they're on their phone texting in between sets. Uh, They do the same exact workouts, same exact reps. Every single time they go into the gym, your body acclimates, you know, your body adjusts and adapts. So those same workouts won't be as effective the next time if you keep doing them over a course of the year, unless you, you know, progressively load more weight, you're not going to, you're not going to see much results. So to get to your sort of physique, how, how many sessions a week would you sort of average? Oh, I love working. I'm like a bit obsessive. So I love working out. I like, it's tough for me to take a day off. So I kind of have to force myself to take one day off a week. 
And sometimes I still don't. But I try to split up my programs to where I'm not overtraining and I allow myself to rest and recover because it's another big aspect of training is, is training, fueling your body to recover and then allowing yourself to recover. Uh, that's when you actually grow. To heal. Yeah. yeah. You don't grow inside the gym. You grow outside of the gym. Most people think that you know you can only grow in the gym. You break yourself down in the gym, but you need to grow by fueling and resting afterwards. So it's a concept that many people overlook. So I'd say first, go into the gym with intention and with a plan. They follow a checklist if you have to with how many exercises and reps you need to do. Keep a journal, keep yourself accountable. That way you can look back at the previous week and say, hey, I did this 10 times today. I'm going to go for 11. Is there a certain duration that you'd recommend for, for people to go in and focus for that amount of time? Normally, uh, I think if you look at periodized training, it's like six weeks, I think. Maybe after six weeks, you can switch it up to different rep ranges, different workouts. But I like to switch it up mostly every time or every week or two, go into the gym and try to perform some different exercise or some different movement Just that I have the body done guessing. Yeah, exactly. And, and what about each session? Are we talking sort of an hour, 45 minutes? You don't need longer than 45 minutes. If you're, if you're putting in work, you can get a good workout in 45 minutes. If you're not texting, you're not talking, you know, you're doing your sets, your reps and your, your rest periods, 45 minutes is all you need. And people, people assume I work out at the gym for like two, three hours a day. That's the first question. Like normally I get in an Uber car, you know, my Uber driver's like, ah, you're a big guy. How many, how many hours do you spend in the gym? And I'm like, if I'm not doing cardio, I spend 45 minutes in the gym and that's all I need. And they're like, ah, I don't Whoa, for real? Like 45 minutes? I'm like, yeah, that's all you need. Yeah, so just don't overdo it. Okay, and in terms of supplementation, you, you spoke about protein shakes mm-hmm. before. Is there anything else that you sort of regularly take, supplement? So my, my go-to supplements that I'd normally like my supplement protocol would be protein. I'll do that normally in the morning and maybe after a workout, yep. depending on if I feel like I need it or not. Two BCAs, plant-based fermented BCAs. I take those whenever I'm cutting to help preserve muscle when I do cardio. Yeah. So I'm trying to preserve as much muscle mass and the studies show that it does help with muscle preservation. And that's when in a period where you're, are you cutting calories as yeah, well? Yeah, so I'm in yeah. a deficit. So I'm in a deficit. So I'm eating less calories. I'm doing more cardiovascular work, which can be muscle sacrificing. If you don't have enough energy in your system. Consuming less protein, less carbohydrates. So that's just a bit of a safety net. Exactly. So it'll break down muscle proteins in the form of energy and you don't want that. So you want to have at least some available BCAs in your system. That way you can utilize those for energy as opposed to your muscle mass, which you work so hard for. So I do do BCAs. Outside of that, I will do B12. I'll do D3 which vegans and non-vegans should supplement yep. with because the majority of the population are deficient in both. But people tend to harp on vegans not getting enough B12, not knowing that the animals that they get the B12 from are supplemented exactly. <laughs> with B12. So, you know, a long time ago, they might've got it from the soil and, you know, trace amounts yeah. of B12, we would get it that way. But now with all the pesticides and everything, it's like there's no B12 in the soil. So they just have to inject the, the cattle or whatever animal it is with hormones and supplements and they get the B12 that way, but everybody should take B12, D3. And I'll also take DHA as well. So it's pretty much the main ones that I take. It's not a lot. No, it's not a lot. People assume that if you're vegan, you have to supplement with all kinds of, you know, additional nutrients and supplements. It's like, as long as you eat a pretty varied whole food plant-based diet, you don't have to supplement anything. You know, I think the effectiveness of multivitamins are pretty low as well. So if you were choosing between like a multivitamin that has like all of those things in marginal quantities, I'd rather just recommend you just take the isolated version of that vitamin because you're much more likely to absorb it that way as opposed to within a multivitamin. Yeah. It's funny as well. Like you often hear our vegans need to, you need to take a lot of supplements because you're not getting enough from your diet yet. You know, we just walked out of Gold's and every bodybuilder who's not a vegan, is smashing protein shake. <laughs> That's like the biggest, I know. I talk about that a lot. You know, there's people are like, oh, but you must be eating, you must be drinking like, you know, three or four protein shakes a day and it must be super expensive. And I'm like, can I ask you a question? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, do you, do you use supplements? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, what do you take? They're like, well, I take a protein shake. I take a multivitamin. <laughs> I was like, why are you taking all that if you supposedly get enough protein from a, from a meat-based diet? Like, why are you taking additional protein? You know, it's like... Pe- Everyone's taking it for convenience. Just, I mean, yeah, or, or peace of mind. Peace or, of mind, yeah. Yeah, not realizing that it's not benefiting them in any, you know, real way. But yeah, it's funny that 
people assume vegans take or have to take all the supplements when it's like the not like if you look at the majority of the population, everybody's on supplements unnecessarily. Exactly. You know, <laughs> most people walking down the the health food grocery aisle buying the supplements and not yeah. vegans. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Outside of that, uh, there really isn't much. Sometimes I'll take zinc, zinc as well, magnesium, but I keep it pretty simple. I don't even take creatine anymore. I used to take creatine, you know, back in the day, which is vegan. It's probably one of the most studied supplements out there and it does show to have really positive effects, but I don't know, I just stopped buying it. I just stopped using it. I don't know. Not Nothing against creatine, but it is, it's shown to be a, an effective uh, supplement. And then for pre-workout, I'll normally do black coffee or coffee in general. I'm a sucker for, for coffee. <laughs> and last question, mate, because I will um, definitely let you go. But on your days off, when you, mm. when you are, or if you get a day off, you decide to take with the one day off a week, what do you do outside of the gym, either for recovery or just for a bit of fun to have some downtime? Uh, I'm a very active person, so I like to do yoga. I like to longboard. I like to be outside. I like to hike. Those types of things I like, I live for. So I, I don't like being inside too much. I like to read a lot. I, I'm big on, you know, constantly fueling myself with knowledge and just learning more about different practices and just kind of how to apply that to my life. I'm not a big nonfiction reader. I'm sorry, I'm not a big fiction reader. I'm a very big nonfiction reader. So I love like self-help books and listening to podcasts and I'm just very like thirsty for information just because now I, I find myself being a vessel of like sharing information. So I like to share that with my audience and learn learn as much as I can on a subject. Um, but yeah, cooking too. I'm a big, big fanatic of cooking. Well, uh, I would like to personally thank you for joining me on today's podcast. I think our listeners are in for a real treat here. I'm sure they're going to be just as inspired by you as I am. And, you know, I'd just like to, on behalf of the entire vegan community movement around the world, really thank you for what you're doing. It's incredible. It's on a global scale. And, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to see where you take things from here. Thanks, man. I was, it was a pleasure talking and recording the podcast in the Jeep. And <laughs> yeah, we'll, uh, we'll make sure we get a photo. <laughs> yeah, thank you for having me. And I hope somebody out there got something out of this. Uh, I'm sure they will. Out of the podcast. So thank you guys for listening. Cheers. And that's this week's episode of the Plant Proof Podcast. Connect with myself and the Plant Proof community at plantproof.com and at plant underscore proof on Instagram. Don't forget to sign up to the newsletter to receive our free plant-based nutritional information, including recipes, important blogs, and much more direct to your inbox. Until next time, folks, I'm your host, Simon Hill. Keep your spacesuit plant-proof.